Hey there, bio nerds. Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Biology. This is the science podcast that aims to break what you were previously taught in textbooks. There's a new health trend that's gone viral. People from all around the world have started raving about it. The possibilities seem, well, limitless. You see, hacking isn't just for your computers anymore. Now you can actually hack your body. You can live forever. You can make yourself into something that's more than human. This is the promise of biohacking. For this episode, we're joined by staff reporter Chetna. And as always, Jeremy will be checking in to help you break down some of the science with his biobites. But before we get started, we do want to tell you that some of these hacks can be a bit graphic. So if you're still with us and you're ready to go, let's explore the world of biohacking. I am so excited to share all the buzz around biohacking today, and I hope you are equally thrilled to learn. If you haven't heard the term biohacking before, let me introduce you to its definition. Biohacking is a broad term that covers a huge range of activities. But generally speaking, it is the idea that applying system thinking to human biology, that is treating people like computers, which has the potential to make enormous strides in health and well-being. The idea is simple, that you can take something like diet and use a systems thinking approach to optimize your diet and make yourself better than you otherwise could be. In theory, if we can control what we put into our body, whether that's food, sleep, supplements, computer chips, etc., we can make ourselves better than ever before. Do you want to speed through social interactions? Install a computer chip into your finger that can tell both you and your acquaintance everything about each other from a simple handshake. Want to feel more awake? Optimize your sleep cycle with some fancy supplements to live a fuller life. This might make one think, why are people doing this? What drives someone to biohack themselves? On a fundamental level, biohacking boils down to the desire to feel better and to see just how far we can push the human body. The desire comes in a range of flavors. Some want to not be sick anymore. Others want to be as smart and strong as they can. An even more ambitious crowd wants to be as smart and strong as long as possible. In other words, they want to radically extend their lifespan. These goals have a way of escalating. Once you have determined that, there are concrete hacks you can use by yourself to go from sick to healthy or healthy to enhanced. You start to think, well, why stop there? Why not shoot for peak performance? Why not try to live forever? What starts as a simple wish to be free from pain can snowball into self-improvement on steroids. You have probably encountered some version of it. You may have heard about Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey extolling the benefits of fasting intermittently or Bay Area folks engaging in dopamine fasting. In a nutshell, these are all types of biohacking, a broad term for a lifestyle that's growing increasingly popular and not just in Silicon Valley, everywhere around the world. 
Perhaps you may have read about the notorious ex-NASA employee Josiah Zayner injecting himself with DNA using CRISPR. One of the most controversial biohacking method is CRISPR. So I reached out to Dr. Teresa Liu, PhD, a biomedical researcher for 19 years, who currently uses the technology in model systems to explain to us all about CRISPR. CRISPR-Cas9 was discovered as a prokaryotic immune system to maintain pieces of genetic code from viruses to prevent future infections. These short spacer sequences are transcribed into RNA that when bound to target DNA can allow the Cas9 protein to cut the DNA preventing transcription. Scientists have harnessed this technology in conjunction with the ability of the human cell to repair DNA damage to edit the genome. Using a specifically designed guide RNA, scientists can target the Cas9 protein to a specific DNA sequence. Once the DNA is cut, the scientists can supply a template to direct specific DNA repair, which can replace the mutation. In the lab, we can use CRISPR technology to delete genes or introduce specific mutations in cell culture to examine disease progression and treatment efficacy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. DNA? RNA? This is getting a little confusing. I think now's a perfect time for a biobite. DNA is the blueprint for every living organism on Earth. It's stored in cells and contains all the instructions needed for organisms to grow, develop, and reproduce. These instructions are transcribed into RNA, essentially making a recipe for the cell to make proteins in a process called translation. This is known as the central dogma of molecular biology. Less than 2% of the human genome, or about 20,000 genes, are protein coding. The remaining 98% of the DNA include important instructions for biochemical activity, gene regulation, and structural components within the chromosome. Once the genome has been mapped for an organism, scientists study it for the genetic basis for disease progression. Being able to edit genes has been used in development of mRNA vaccines, including the ones for COVID-19. However, the cells see foreign DNA as a threat, and it's often unstable and quickly removed. So scientists had to develop a way for the cells to accept this modified DNA as if it were its own. CRISPR is a sophisticated form of biohacking technology used for genome editing. This may raise curiosity, hope, and makes one wonder if CRISPR has helped traditional scientists make any advancements in treatments for chronic diseases. So I asked Dr. Liu again. Current treatment for diseases target the most bothersome symptoms without always treating the underlying cause. For example, in the case of a rare form of childhood diabetes caused by a mutation, insulin can control the diabetes, but there are still other complications. Researchers are looking to use CRISPR to fix this mutation and use the patient's own cells to produce insulin. While editing genes to treat cancer, AIDS, and advancing agricultural research sounds like a no-brainer, there's an extreme dark side to biohacking as well, with some people taking the notion to a dangerous extreme. For example, you may have seen the process in the fictional TV show Silicon Valley, but in the real life, Many people are currently paying eight grands a pop for young blood transfusions, a process in which an older person pays for a younger person's blood and has it pumped directly into their veins in hopes of remaining young. If you think that's crazy, another extreme in the world of biohacking are fecal transplants. Yeah. You heard that right. The process of transferring stool from a healthy donor into the gastrointestinal tract of an unhealthy recipient in the hope of curing disease and correcting one's stomach gut bacteria 
That's crazy. And if that's not enough, some biohackers have embedded microchips under their skin or an antenna in their skulls to improve sensory experiences and control their external surroundings. This obviously leads to some serious questions about ethics and also the fundamental questions around is biohacking acceptable? Unfortunately, research ethics have not addressed the conundrum of ethical conduct of biohackers sufficiently. However, biohackers indicate a paradigm shift from a centralized power-backed to decentralization with a strong focus on the democratization of science. While biohackers can lead to a more accessible research and push science forward, the new paradigm definitely calls for oversight in forming an ethical framework to which they must adhere. And engaging biohackers within the traditional scientific sphere to help frame the ethical guidelines and to represent their viewpoints might bring about the much needed balance to scientific freedom. Listeners, what do you think? Would you try biohacking on yourself? And how far is too far? Please, as always, write to us and let us know. All right, and that's going to do it for this episode of Breaking Biology. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and let us know where you stand on biohacking. Your comments may even be used on the show. Just like Philip K., who wrote in after our episode on cloning to say, I definitely would clone my dog. That sounds awesome. What could possibly go wrong? Thank you so much, Phil, for your comments, and thank you all for listening. And as always, if it can be built, it can be broken.